0: In the theater, you have actors that are going to behave in a certain way just to make you believe that they are, I don't know, a couple who is telling you a story and things like that, right? So in quantum simulations, instead of having actors, or your actors are going to be lenses, lasers, ions, and things like that, right? And you're going to tell them, like, I want you to behave in this way so I can believe that you are a par- particle.
1: Welcome back to Relatively Certain, a science podcast straight from researchers at the University of Maryland. I'm Dina Gankina, and today we're bringing you a story of long forgotten particles and one woman's crusade to bring them to life, at least on a simulated quantum stage. The basic particles we found that make up our world fall into two broad categories. Extroverted bosons, which play together nicely and like to all crowd in the same spaces, and introverted fermions, which are more standoffish and refuse to share a space with each other. In technical terms, bosons can all be in the same quantum state, while no two fermions can share a quantum state. The building blocks of atoms, electrons, protons, and neutrons are all introverted fermions while photons, the individual particles of light, are friendly bosons. Back in the 1950s and 60s, physicists proposed alternatives to bosons and fermions that could, at least theoretically, exist on their own. These types of particles, which they termed paraparticles, would include bosons and fermions, but also a host of other types of particles, kind of like particle ambiverts, either bosons that sometimes act a bit more like fermions or vice versa, Mathematically, there's no reason particles like that couldn't exist. Some physicists speculated it was only a matter of time before an example was found. But as physicists discovered and understood more and more about the particles we do see in nature, none of them were turning up with the pair equality.
0: People tried to find like way to measure these particles, but they couldn't find anything I, I think they just give, like, the, the, the math as a tool that they have to describe some systems, but they couldn't find, like, a connection with the nature, so they kind of abandoned these ideas.
1: That's Cynthia Alderete, the voice you heard at the top of the episode and the director of the Paraparticle Simulation Production.
0: I'm Cynthia Huerta I'm a physicist.
1: Alderete is now a postdoctoral fellow at Los Alamos National Lab in New Mexico. But a couple of years back, she was a visiting graduate researcher at the Joint Quantum Institute here at the University of Maryland. In order to bring pair particles from theoretical obscurity to vibrant life in quantum simulation, Alderete had to transition from theory to experiment and from Mexico to the United States. Growing up in Puebla, Mexico, Alderete was pulled into science by her contrarian nature.
0: I guess that happens during my high school. I had a professor, a math professor who I didn't like that much, but I was like some sort of competition with myself or I guess with my brothers because they weren't doing that great. And this professor was like, oh, you are the same as your brothers and so on. He was like so hard on me. And yeah, so I just tried to do my, my best to demonstrate him that I was in the same thing And then he started, like, inviting me to do stuff related to science.
1: She quickly discovered a strong interest in physics. She continued her studies with an undergraduate degree, followed by a master's, and she embarked on a PhD in the same group in her hometown of Puebla at the National Institute of Astrophysics, Optics, and Electronics. She focused on theoretical quantum optics, the study of the fundamental interactions between matter and light. One of the problems she investigated was the behavior of individual fermions, the introverted particles that like to hang out by themselves. Alderete studied how a fermion would behave if they were caught in the middle of four mirrors, one to the left, one to the right, one in front and one in back. You can imagine this particle trying something on in a dressing room, seeing how it looks from all four sides. Light can bounce between the mirrors forward and back and left and right. For a tiny particle, Light of the right color can push it around and make it vibrate in one direction or the other. Alderete was looking at the math describing this dancing particle in a dressing room.
0: Yeah, uh, I guess when I first um, learned about particles, I wasn't really looking for particles. We were attacking a completely different problem. So in optics, there is this model, the fundamental model to describe how light and matter interacts. And we were trying to extend this model by adding an extra piece.
1: The extra piece here was the photons, making the particle vibrate side to side and forward and back. When Alderete dug into the mathematics describing this jiggling particle, she found a surprising similarity to some of the math that paraparticle physicists had left behind in the 60s. To understand how this happened, we have to take a step back and talk in a bit more detail about the kinds of particles that do exist in nature, the bosons and the fermions. What differentiates bosons and fermions is kind of subtle, but extremely important. Imagine you have a bunch of marbles laid out on your kitchen table. At first glance, they might all look the same, but if you switched two of their places, the whole scene in the kitchen would be just a bit different. A shifted speck of color here, a stripe facing a different direction there. But if instead of marbles you had fundamental particles, electrons for example, they would actually be exactly completely identical. If you swapped one electron on your kitchen with another, no matter how closely you looked or what measurements you did, the whole situation in the kitchen would remain precisely the same. Another difference is that, unlike marbles, tiny particles play according to the rules of quantum mechanics. And in quantum mechanics, everything you might want to know about a particle, its possible positions, velocities, what have you, is described by a mathematical object called a wave function. The probability of finding a particle at any particular spot on your kitchen table is given by the square of that wave function. This might be hard to wrap your head around, but what's important for this story is that measurements, what we can directly observe, are always described by a square of the wave function. When you swap two identical particles around, the wave function can change, but because they're identical, any measurement predictions have to remain the same. So the wave function can only get multiplied by a factor of negative one. Then when you square the wave function, a minus one times another minus one is plus one, the same as if it weren't there. And this seeming mathematical triviality is the subtle but crucially important difference between bosons and fermions. For bosons, when you swap two of their places on the kitchen table, the wave function doesn't change at all. But for fermions, swapping two of their places multiplies the wave function by minus one. The pesky minus one is what makes fermions so standoffish. Imagine two fermions are in the same place. Swapping their places is supposed to multiply the wave function by minus one, but they're already in the same place. So changing nothing flips the sign of the wave function? That makes no sense and nature avoids nonsense, so fermions don't pop up in the same place. This has huge consequences, among them giving rise to the structure of the periodic table, and consequently all of chemistry. Since no two marbles are exactly alike, I'm not sure if a marble is really a boson or a fermion, and it kind of doesn't matter, but they are made up of microscopic bosons and fermions. Although the world appears to be only home to bosons and fermions, We still don't know any reason that this has to be the case. Theoretically, paraparticles, slightly bosonic fermions or slightly fermionic bosons, don't violate any fundamental laws.
0: Paraparticles is supposed to be a generalization of those two elementary particles that we already have bosons and fermions.
1: With paraparticles, even though they're all identical, the same thing doesn't always happen when you switch two of their places. Sometimes switching two of them gives a factor of one, and other times it's minus one. And which one you get depends on what kind of pair of particles they are and how many of them have been switched around already.
0: In fermions, you can swap two of those particles and get a minus sign in there. But when you have para of your order, you can swap more pairs at the same time. And as a result, you can have either minus sign or plus sign, depending on how many pairs you are swapping at the same time. And in case something similar is going to happen with parabosons.
1: Paraparticles are not just a third kind of particle. There are great many kinds of particles that include the regular bosons and fermions and much more. Each new kind of paraparticle is defined by a number called the paraparticle order. Let's first focus on parafermions. A parafermion of order one is just a regular fermion. Only one of them can be in the same state at the same time and swapping two of them will multiply the wave function by minus one. But for parafermions of order two, two fermions can live in the same state. Swapping two of them will give a plus one, but swapping in a third will give a minus one. For order ten, ten can live in the same state. In a sense, the higher the parafermion order, the more friendly and boson-like the parafermions are. Similarly, a para-boson of, of order one is just a boson. Infinitely many of them can be in the same state at the same time and switching any two of them multiplies the wave function by one, a.k.a. does nothing. But for parabosons of order two, infinitely many of them can still be in the same state, but it's as if they divide themselves randomly into two groups. Exchanging parabosons within the same group does nothing, but exchanging two from different groups multiplies the wave function by minus one. For order ten, they divide it to ten groups with the same rules. The higher the paraboson order, the more they act like solitary fermions you're finding this a bit convoluted, you're not alone. One of the earliest papers on paraparticles, published in 1968, goes on for eight pages laying out their properties. And at the very end, the authors write, we feel that these remarks justify us in the conclusion that although there's no theoretical reason to exclude paraparticles, their properties are sufficiently disagreeable for one to hope sincerely that there will continue to be no evidence in their favor. But this disagreeableness did not scare Alderete. Once she realized the math of paraparticles was a perfect fit for her particle vibrating between four mirrors, she dove into the half-century-old literature. She came up with theoretical protocols that make an ion interact with light in just the right way, that the whole setup acts as though it were a group of parabosons or paraphermions. She presented her work at a conference, and Norbert Linke, then a J.Q.Y. fellow and assistant professor at the University of Maryland, was fascinated by her talk. Linke's lab had trapped ions interacting with lasers, very similar to what Alderete described theoretically. Linke invited Alderete to come to Maryland and try it out for herself, even though it was a bit of a gamble. So did you know anything about paraparticles before you met Cynthia? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) I did not. That's Linke, who is now an assistant professor at Duke. Linke didn't know anything about paraparticles, and Alderete didn't have any experience working in an actual lab.
0: I think he didn't know how to deal with me, like a theorist being in the lab. So he just told me, like, you can do whatever you want, and we'll see. Yeah, so I spent some time trying to learn how the experiment works and trying to figure out how can I do my thing in there.
1: The experiment had similarities to the model Alderete had studied, but it was a real room with knobs and lasers instead of the mathematical formulas Alderete worked with before.
2: The experiment consists of a single trapped ion. We use its charge, which means it reacts to electric fields, uh, to actually trap it. So we make basically a little bottle for it <laughs> made up out of electric fields. So it's trapped in three dimensions. It's just sitting there in free space. And because it's trapped, um, it acts like a little oscillator, like a little ball on springs. But it is also a small particle, so it undergoes uh, quantum-mechanical oscillations. And so it has a certain internal state, I would say, a certain state of the electron in that atom. And it has a certain motional state. How strong does the ion vibrate along different directions in this trap?
1: The ion, a fermion, was hit by photons, bosons, from side to side and up and down. This caused the ion to vibrate along the two different axes and the internal state of the ion, along with these vibrations, was cleverly combined to act as if it was a collection of of paraparticles. In a sense, the original ion provided the fermion qualities needed for a paraparticle, and the vibrations in different directions, induced by the laser light, added the boson-like characteristics to the mix. By tuning how these vibrations sync up along the two directions, and what the ion itself is doing, they can tune the effective pareness of the whole thing. To test that they had indeed engineered something that acts like a group of parafermions, they checked how many of them could coexist in the same place. They synced up the vibrations and internal ionic state to create parafermions of order two. Then, they kept adding more vibration, equivalent to adding more parafermions, until no more would fit. Indeed, only two effective parafermions popped up, and adding more vibrations after that would destroy them. They repeated the same for order 10 and found that they could create 10 parafermions, as expected. Proving that they created parabosons was a bit trickier, and relied on collecting statistics over long periods of time. But again, their theory matched their experimental outcomes, confirming that they could make their ions vibrate like a collection of parabosons as well. For the first time, they brought paraparticles to life. Not as a fundamental particle, as physicists once hoped, or in some cases dreaded, but in a quantum simulation with ions and photons as actors on their theater stage directed to behave exactly as pair particles would whether these pair particles have any practical use remains to be seen there are some proposals that speculate that dark matter that large mass of stuff out in the universe that we cannot see or detect and isn't made of any particles known to humanity might be made of pair of particles maybe Others suggest paraparticles might be used for a particular version of quantum computing.
2: I would say the killer app for paraparticles hasn't really been found. <laughs> okay.
1: For Alderete, the success opens the door to testing out more theories involving paraparticles.
0: Well, there is people who has tried to say something about the interaction of many particles. They call thermodynamics of paraparticles. But the first step is what we already did, just trying to simulate one and make sure that whether you are expecting about one par- particle, you can see that on the experiment.
1: And for Linke, the appeal is a bit more practical.
2: So You might ask, what is the point? Why did you uh, do this? Well, there's, to me, there's two reasons why we, why we actually did it. Even though it's kind of an obscure theoretical subject, well, number one, it's a lot of fun, right? You can revive an old theory from the 50s and 60s and actually make a system behave like people speculated the world might actually work, right? that's kind of cool, and it's only become recently possible to map these systems to quantum experiments that have enough control to actually do this, right? And the second reason is by um, realizing such, you know, unusual, complicated uh, systems in our experiment, we actually gain experimental capabilities. So we actually now can, in our lab, manipulate the motional modes of these ions to a high degree. We can read them out and so on. And these abilities we can use to simulate other systems. So, for example, uh, high-energy physics models. Um, how does matter interact you know, under the strong force inside a nucleus, for example? And so these are the, our two motivations for doing this.
1: That's it for this episode. Now you know about the concept of paraparticles, particles which is more than most professional physicists can say perhaps with good reason, their properties being so distasteful and all. But there is hope that putting on this paraparticle play will enable new kinds of quantum simulation and new discoveries. We'll be back soon with another episode. For Relatively Certain, I'm Dina Genkina.